Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-hosts Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Our first guest is Dr. Ife Williams, President and CEO of the National Congress of Black Women in Washington, D.C., with chapters across the country. And uh, she also is a regular on her own radio programs, and she's interviewed by many people. And in the Seattle area, she's known for being a regular columnist uh, in the Seattle Medium newspaper. So if you pick up the Medium, often you will see Dr. Ife Williams, her column, along with other distinguished African-American individuals who are making a significant contribution on our behalf in the United States of America. So, Dr. E.P. Williams, I want to thank you very much for taking the time today. And I guess the big story is uh, what is happening in Washington, D.C., and what is happening with your chapters dealing with this uh, coronavirus? Well, of course, the big thing for today is um, your president has just told the public and the governors that they can have public activities before May 1st if they want to despite the fact that that's not what health officials are saying. Uh, I don't think it was his to tell the governors what to do, but he took uh, the liberty to do that in talking with them today. You know, nearly every day we, we hear some version of the statement that truth matters, but I wonder if it really does, because day after day we hear uh, about the number of times Donald Trump has told yet another lie. But when we heard that he said, uh, and had made over 18,000 false or misleading claims, many of us just said, well, I don't see where it matters because he continues to do so daily without any consequences, and he's still the president. How he got to be president is still a mystery to me, but worse yet, there's a lot of people who say that they will vote for him again, and they excuse or ignore all of those ignorant things that he says every day and all the lies that he tells. That's no example to set for our children or the people of this country. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, the governor's uh, office yesterday in Michigan, it looked more like a Trump-Pence uh, campaign rally than a protest about having people shelter inside. But then once again, uh, if I guess if the virus started hitting some of those protesters, you know, uh, like uh, the saying goes, people who are seemingly normally healthy are carrying the virus, can expose it to others, and then they get sick. So... Uh, I was just wondering uh, how is uh, how are your chapters faring? Is everybody well? Or are you having any areas where there's more uh, deaths and sickness than and other places? Well, I have a lot of friends who've uh, passed away or who had the, the virus, but my members are doing fine. They're doing public service work, uh, you know, behind their masks and um, staying safe and doing it. We're doing several things. Um, we're working with the World Conference of Mayors in trying to get messages out to leaders around the country and, and people about what they should be doing. And, of course, we're running an online voter registration uh, uh, campaign or project with Joe Simon. I'm sure many of your listeners of a certain age will remember Joe Simon of uh, Choking Kind fame and uh, uh, Power of Your Love and John in the Sea of Love. Well, anyway, yeah. he's working together with us because we can't go to the cities that we had hoped to go to. So we're running it online. We just we just decided we're not going to be defeated because we really need to see some changes um, in our country in November. And we don't want to, um, you know, allow people to say, well, I wanted to register, but I couldn't. So uh, there, there are just a lot of things that, that we are doing. Many of our members are. Uh, delivering food uh, to people who need it. They just pick it up, you know, but they wear their masks, they wear their gloves, they pick it up and deliver it to uh, people who need it. And we answer a lot of questions. We participate with other organizations. Like 
now we're participating with the World Conference of Mayors and our former mayor of Tuskegee, uh, Johnny Ford, who started this organization and has brought together a lot of uh, African-American leadership uh, for us to be together on what we're talking about. We meet every Friday, and we last week we had Dr. Sat- David Satcher on. Uh, this week we're having others on. And uh, what I like about it is that so many of our major organizations like the National Business League, the NAACP, National Congress of Black Women, World Conference of Mayors, and um, many, many more uh, CBC representatives and um, the blacks in government, uh, we get together and we talk about what should should be done. And we're sending leaders, real leaders, not just not the president, we don't really call him a leader, but uh the governors of states, uh, city officials, and, and people in the, you know, citizens in the uh, communities and say to them that we have got to jointly from wherever we are, we can do it online or we can do it by telephone or whatever, uh, demand that uh, coronavirus testing in sites in all communities because, you know, there are black and disadvantaged people who aren't even near uh, uh, any any place where they can get food delivered to them or get any of the hospital or doctor services that they need. So people have to demand that those be provided in every community, even if we have to send out the National Guard to do it. And I must add that my good friend Dick Gregory told me before he died that we were going to have chaos and the National Guard would be coming out. Well, in some communities, it's out, but there are certainly communities uh, that certainly need the guard, and we need to be demanding that uh, special attention is paid to uh, personal protection equipment for our people. These these are courageous nurses, doctors, uh, janitors, uh, drivers, everybody who goes out there every day, and they risk their lives. Today we've seen some of them standing in line to get the food packets because they don't even have time to go shopping. They're spending all their time trying to help people. We need to demand uh, that there is a legislation of national health care opportunities for all Americans. And those states that that don't have Medicare for all, we need to be demanding that that Medicare for all be given. We've got to expand it to all 50 states. And we've got to get to these Republican uh, governors who are acting so weird and, and not doing what they should be doing to help people have access to that Medicaid. And we also need to have some kind of startup of a psychological counseling facility or facilities, I should say, around the country because our people are going to need those when uh, this is finally over and many probably need it now. But at least uh, these are the things at a minimum that those of us who are sitting at home can make phone calls uh, to legislators' offices and, and leaders in our community to make sure some of these things begin happening now. And you mentioned uh, uh, Mayor Johnny Ford. He was uh, the Port of Seattle's Blacks in Government chapter, and I guess also with Region 10 brought uh, Mayor Johnny Ford up to, it was a couple of months ago, uh, uh-huh. to speak uh, at, at, at an event. That was held in in, uh, in Seattle. So uh, he's a very dynamic individual. Sort of the beginning of the coronavirus, you know, when we started being told that we had to stay. In fact, he was in Seattle. I think when I said to him, "You know what? What was just announced that we're supposed to be sheltering in place," and you know, had not known about it. Of course, the governor in Alabama 
never did that. Uh, and there are many other governors that haven't done it. But as I said, they're all Republican governors. And why they're doing this, I don't know. It's easy for them to shelter in place, but they're not insisting that people in their states and in the communities there would do the same thing. But, but Mr. Ford is, is working. As I said, he's head of the World Conference of Mayors. And every uh, Friday we, uh, we have a meeting to talk about what must be done. Uh, and if we do have protests, and I know that they do have them in Alabama and some other states, they, they keep that distance apart and they wear their masks. So, you know, they're doing the best that they can, again, risking their lives to make sure we make our leaders understand what needs to be done. So um, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's going to work. I mean, we just need to keep our prayers, keep our, you know, keep ourselves as healthy as we can. And it, you know, it's just so painful for us to see those reporters having to listen to the lie after lie in those daily briefings. And if they try to question him, the, him meaning the, the president, uh, about um, his obvious lies, he just shuts them up and doesn't want them, uh, you know, to hear. Doesn't want the people to hear uh, what is going on. I, I applaud those reporters who come back and ask the same question a colleague is just trying to ask. And even though he cuts them off, another one will come on and they will do the same thing. So I hope they will stop attending those conferences because what they do is simply confuse people and frustrate people. We need to be listening to health professionals right now and not to Donald Trump. I want to see if my co-host, Haven Evans, have a comment or a question. Yeah, I do. Uh, Dr. Williams, first, um Thank you for being here, but your background, you have an extensive background in health and in world affairs. And so from your perspective, because we know number 45, he's just out there on a limb. He's running it like his own personal reality show. How is he going to put his name on the check? Checks can't go out until his name is on it. Absolutely ridiculous. But what do you think all the states or the people should be doing as a collective to get this virus under control? I respect your opinion much more than his. Well, I, I, I think that we um, can just ignore the fact that his name is there and that lets us know how crazy he really is and how unconcerned he is about the people. That's why I'm saying we shouldn't even be listening to him, but listening to health professionals that we uh, trust. Uh, no, no one, no president has ever asked that his name uh, be placed on, on the checks. That's a campaign activity, and people need to understand that that's what he's doing. He's not trying to do things to help the people. What he is doing is trying to get four more years of the presidency. But I'm telling you, uh, it, it was that, you know, it's, it's time for us to register everybody. This ought to be motivation for everybody to register everybody that they know uh, because, you know, it's uh, led millions of people to believe that the, the virus was a hoax. That's what he did in the beginning, and that everything was under control and this would be gone in a few days. But why should we believe anything he says now? Uh, now we are under uh, the control of the virus. It, it, isn't it time for us to look for new leaders who have a history of telling the truth? He certainly does not. And letting us know that they're working for us, not just for their ego and for their personal benefit. If truth matters, then there must be consequences for lying. And the way that we do that is to make sure everybody registers and also to work with uh, Senator Kamala Harris and others who are working on getting voting uh, online uh, by November. Well, you know, in Washington State, we do have mail-in and voting. And mm -hmm. I've noticed in Wisconsin, <clears throat> they had a conservative justice on the ballot, and uh, they wanted to make sure people had to go out and risk their lives to vote, mm -hmm. but it backfired on the Republicans and the Democratic uh, justice did win. And speaking of justices, I want to let you know that 
Governor Jay Inslee last week appointed the first African-American female Supreme Court justice in the history of the state. Uh, justice wow. Helen White, Whitener uh, is uh, the new Supreme Court justice appointed by Governor Jay Inslee. So in addition to him being in the forefront of dealing with this coronavirus uh, situation, he's also stepping up to the plate. To, and I, since I had you, and I want to make sure I, I let you know that, that uh, we do have an African-American female, the first ever Supreme Court justice in Washington State. Well, that's wonderful, but you see, it's people like Governor Inslee who's been called everything but a child of God by this president. Uh, Governor Inslee is someone who is trying to be helpful to the people and not to himself uh, as our, you know, president is. I, I, you know, it even chokes me to call him president, but that's what he is, and that's what we've got to deal with uh, for November 3rd, I think it is. If he's still here after November 3rd, then I just say, God, have mercy on all of us. Uh, because there's still still are some people who uh, you know trust him, and uh, even though they know that he has told all of these lies, but it's time for those of us who are not afraid, who are courageous, like Governor Inslee, to stand up and do the right thing. Uh, Doctor Williams, just let me ask you about proportional allocation of resources. Is anything being done now, either at the state level or at federal level, that you've seen that's addressing the impact on the African American community? where they're going into those communities for testing. Well, as, as I said earlier, there are some black communities and disadvantaged communities that don't have any health care at all. Uh, they, you know, they obviously don't have the uh, PPE uh, to, to take care of people, even if there were doctors or, or nurses or healthcare people to volunteer to come into those communities. Uh, so we need a lot of things. Even uh, Governor Cuomo still talks about uh, needing um, e equipment, and uh, he, he, of course, has um, sent some out to help others that they didn't need. But we're not sure that this is not going to come back. We continue to hear help people, people who know that there's always a possibility that even though this may be dying down now, if we all go out there, rush out there, some people still affected, that we could have uh, this another round of this. So we uh, still need uh, all kinds of things to help communities. They need we need a stockpile in communities so that we're not caught up all off um, uh, off guard. And that's what happened because our leaders didn't believe or didn't care early. We didn't get started and we didn't see to it that many of these communities have what they need. Uh, that's why it has been able to spread so far. So we gotta we gotta get the testing. We gotta keep demanding that of everybody who's out there supposedly to help the people. Now, I've heard that some people who had it and have got, got it again have been reinfected. And that's yes, really and we were misled. We, we've been misled on that, too, because we were initially told if you got it one time, you couldn't get it again. But we know that is not proving to be true. So even though people have been tested and they, they're over it, they still need to be careful around others who might uh, still be infected. Now, Dr. Williams, for those states that aren't putting in social uh, gathering, 11 shut down to try to get control of this, and if the other states do, what's going to be the impact? Because if you're coming from a state that you didn't shut down or you didn't take control of this virus, but we did in my state, should you be allowed in my state? I mean, what's going to be the ramifications in your, in your opinion? Well, you know, there are some states that have uh, uh, forbidden people to cross state lines. I know my sister from Los Angeles came down to visit my mom almost a month ago. 
and she's been caught up in, um, you know, not being able to get back to the airport because she came through an airport in Houston. So I think that uh, the, the governors of Texas and, of, and, of, and of, of Louisiana have realized that there's one thing that they have to do to keep people from crossing state borders so they can get control over this. And uh, while Louisiana initially had a very high rate of infections, I noticed on the charts it has gone down that it's near the bottom of the, uh, the, the states with the most. Texas and Louisiana. Now, I don't know whether other states did it or not. Mississippi is next door, and initially they did not even had a, they did not even have a shelter in place for it. But I believe they do have uh, something similar to that now. So uh, that's why there aren't as many infections as there are in other states where you can so easily cross the line. And I'm really happy about the governors in certain areas like uh, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, and others because. They really have needed help, and um, that's the only way I see that that, um, the infections are going to go down is that they limit who's coming in while they try to test and try to treat the people who already have uh, the virus. So I'm I'm happy to see uh, sections of the country with their governors uh, deciding to to close down uh, their their borders uh, without some kind of emergency. Well, I uh, contacted the governor's office and the uh, chief of the state patrol uh, last week, last Monday of last week, and suggested that, because uh, at that particular time, Idaho, South Dakota, North Dakota did not have a, a, a stay-in-place order, and uh, suggested that uh, state patrol return all the vehicles with uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, and Idaho license plates back to where they came from, or either that they would come to the state and be quarantined for 14 days. But it looks like since then, Idaho has made a move. And I noticed that on CNN there was a person in Idaho who had caught the virus and was very, very sick, but he was able to bounce back. So I think it's very important that if uh, the governors, you know, if you got a state where uh, you don't, your, your folks are staying in place and you're going to let people come in from somewhere else and reinfect, and they also got to think about the fact that they might come in and get it and take it back to where they came from. So. A lot of people Absolutely. are taking this thing really too lightly, Dr. Williams. Right, we just look at South Dakota. You know, their uh, governor uh, refused to have a shelter in place, and suddenly you find in one plant, a main meat plant in South Dakota, they have hundreds. I think it's now it's over 500 people in that one plant who uh, are affected or impacted by the virus. So these uh, governors in, in that case, as, as I want to point out, these are Republican governors, again, who initially were made to believe that all of this was just a hoax. So they made no plans to do it, even though they're seeing people all across the country with the virus. They don't have sense enough to do some of the same things that people in other states are doing to try to control the virus. And uh, in Washington, D.C., the, the, the mayor there took action, and then they're being treated like a territory and not a state. What Absolutely, is the difference yeah. of what's happening there? Yeah. Well, you know, I used to be able to walk down on the waterfront. I live near the water. But uh, when um, the those companies down there announced that they were having this half-price um, fish sale and people rushed down there, they were close, they were together, uh, the mayor then, of course, shut that down. So that shut shut down my walking areas. I've had to find a new route now. But I think she's been very cautious from the beginning, and I applaud her for her efforts, even though she knows that we have been shortchanged in the money that we have gotten 
to protect ourselves, to take care of the people in our city. But I can see the people in our city uh, care about each other. I'm talking about the ones who live here. I'm not talking about those who come in um, uh, from other states, particularly Republicans, who won't vote for us to be a state. But now is the time that many people should see why we need statehood in Washington, D.C., and uh, I hope that this will have some impact on those. I know it's hard to, to impact some of these people, but I hope that it will have some impact on them, and they will see that we get shortchanged, even though we pay taxes just like everybody else. Uh, so I, I hope that when we come back, when people say things will never be the same, I hope they will never be the same, but that we will make some changes that benefit the people. Okay, Dr. Ife Williams, I really want to thank you for your time and your wisdom today. And... Uh we will stay in touch, and I want my local people here in Seattle to, to also know that if you pick up that Seattle Medium periodically, you will see Dr. Ife Williams' column in there along with other distinguished African-American individuals who are doing outstanding things. So thank you very much for your time well, today. thank you so much. We God will bless stay you in and touch. all of your listeners. Okay. Thank okay. you. Thank you very much. So we'll take a break at this time, uh, Eric, and I'll hopefully come back with Dr. Ben Danielson. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail Station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Alternative Talk 1150, the talk of the sound. Okay, uh, Eddie Rye and Hayward Evans back at Urban Forum Northwest with our next guest, Dr. Ben Danielson, who is uh, known, and when you say Odessa Brown Children's Clinic, you think about uh, Dr. Danielson. Uh, He also is the the clinic chief at the, at the Odessa Brown Medical Clinic, the senior medical director at Odessa Brown Children's Clinic, and the central region. And, uh, I, you know, it's really interesting because with this virus is going around and people not want to congregate, uh, Dr. Ben, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest, and want to just uh, have you comment on 
uh, the trials and tribulations of you serving the kids with uh, this uh, virus, the coronavirus, going around. Well, uh, thank you for inviting me to be on this uh, show. I appreciate you and how you're getting the word out to the community. It's an interesting time for everybody right now. I know that uh, we have uh, staff members here who are um, choosing to stay separate from their own families so that they can be here and serve the community and uh, limit any risks of, of bringing anything home. So uh, I, I work around some, some heroes here who are doing amazing work. We've had to change That's our That's what it sounds like. Oh, sorry. So uh, why don't you just go ahead and uh, for the listeners that don't know, just give us an overview of the services under during normal circumstances that Odessa Brown's Children's Clinic provides. Normally we're doing um, medical care, dental care, mental health care, and outreach services for kids uh, uh, throughout the community down deep into South King County. Um, and in a regular year, we'd be maybe uh, having a total of 40,000 visits or something like that. Um, these days, uh, we've uh, shifted very much in order to keep serving the community in the safest way possible and uh, take care of our staff and everything else. So um, we uh, almost split our clinic in half and created part that was for uh, sick kids with symptoms uh, who need any kind of sick care but may also need testing for the COVID virus. And the other half of the clinic is uh, really for kids who are doing okay, who are well, um, but might have a chronic condition or something else for which they need to be seen. We're also doing a whole lot of telehealth now. Our mental health team is doing a lot of uh, telemedicine, reaching out to families through their phones um, and through devices that allow them to do some screen-to-screen uh, -screen kind of interactions. And our medical team is doing the same, uh, doing a lot of care over the phone or through uh, a screen, talking to families as well. We've uh, created sort of a, a particular clean day on the Saturdays, so uh, no one with any kind of symptoms, neither parents nor children, can come through the door on Saturday. And we only see well kids uh, for checkups because you know those, like those two-month-olds, they need to get their shots, their vaccines. I don't want to have to trade COVID for whooping cough, if you know what I mean. So yeah. we got to make sure all of the routine care that our youngest kids need is there for them. We're seeing a lot of newborns and got to make sure they uh, get their start uh, as good as possible. So we're also seeing them during these extra clean days that we have on Saturdays. And you also have a big project coming up in the south end of Seattle. And I know uh, Coach Lenny Wilkins was intricately involved with the Lenny Wilkins Foundation. And I know a lot of the people in the Gill, like Danella Godot, Dr. Andrea Rye, and many others, uh, were helping to raise funds for that clinic. What, uh, where we stand on that now, how much money does Hayward and Evans and Eddie Rye have to help raise to make sure <laughs> that comes to fruition? You know, we are getting, we are getting there. We've uh, raised a substantial amount of funding thanks to our wonderful Odessa Brown Children's Clinic Guild and all those amazing members. We've had the great support of Lenny Wilkins and his foundation for uh, 45 years now, and, and they've continued to support us. And you know uh, there's going to be a little half-court-sized gym in there uh, in our new clinic, and that's going to be named the Lenny Wilkins Movement Room, um, where we'll be doing a lot of, a lot of health-related classes. So um, 
We have a lot of spirit, a lot of ideas. It's going to be an amazing place. It's going to be modeled a little bit after a village uh, from that uh, old but true saying that it takes a village to raise a child. And um, we've raised um, uh, over $100 million for this project and are still hoping to raise a a few million more to get um, all of the services and uh, supports and staffing into that new building. It's going to be located at the uh, Othello light rail stop, just in the, on MLK in the Rainier Valley, making it a little bit easier for folks from many different directions to find um, a train, an automobile, or uh, some other way, uh, a bus to get to us in the Rainier Valley. And that's really ideally located, too, especially with that sound transit, uh, with the light rail going right by there. That That's uh, really, really going to be convenient because that's going further and further south. So that was where, where primarily where the African-American population is right now, is yeah. further and further south. Due to the so-called gentrification, I call it economic apartheid, but, you know, that's oh, my right. own, yep. <laughs> that's that my own description. Uh, I'm with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow that phrase for the, for the future, if that's okay. Oh, use it loosely, brother, whenever you want to, because it's just the <laughs> truth, really. Yes. So what, what can people do right now to help uh, Odessa Brown in its current location in terms of any kind of program, fundraising? What, what, can, what can be done right now? Before I go to Hayward Evans with his questions and comments. Okay. Well, uh, we have been so appreciative of the love and the giving and the support that families have shown us already in these last uh, couple of months. We've been getting gifts of um, uh, masks and face shields and other ways in which to keep our staff safe as they uh, do their their important work. We've had um, people at home sewing up um, face coverings that we've been able to distribute to families. We've been going out to um, families' homes and, uh, you know, delivering food to the doorstep of a lot of people who are um, really stuck at home right now been also trying to get them uh, some of the uh, laptops and software and stuff like that that they need to um, continue to do uh, good work from school work from home and we've been just trying to provide a you know a supportive voice over the phone to a lot of families um, if you do have some uh, some mad skills making uh, face masks for the community uh, we would love to have them and to be able to distribute them out to um, the families that we interact with, and it's just uh, heartwarming to know that even when we're separated from each other by social isolation, it does not take away from our sense of connectedness and our heart and our support for each other. And if your children are sick and they need to be seen, I just want to make sure everyone knows that we are uh, using all of the safest um, tools and measures and protective uh, devices in order to make sure that if if your child does need care, we are there for you, and we will do it in a way that will protect their safety and yours. Before I go to Hayward, I just want to say Mario Bailey, uh, mm-hmm. Mike Flood with the Seahawks, Jordan Babineau, Russell oh, yeah. Wilson, Odessa oh, yeah. Brown Children's Clinic needs some masks. I know y'all can deliver. You guys have been on top of serving the community for a long time. So, uh, Mario, give me a call. Let's hook it up. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's help Odessa Brown Children's Clinic. Go ahead, Hayward. Yeah, and you know, we're on board with you, Doctor, all the way, and we appreciate what you've done. And we, But when we look out here into the community, the disparity 
in uh, uh, access to medical care for low-income people, and particularly people of color. Uh, you're filling that void. Has the federal government or anyone contacted uh, contact your Odessa-bound clinic at least about setting up a satellite for testing? Because we know testing is going to be critical. You're absolutely right. And uh, I think everyone listening to this show knows that uh, this pandemic is, is just a, a highlighter pen uh, emphasizing all of the ways that we've always been discriminated against, that we've always faced disparities. This is, this is just one time when the disparities are louder and brighter and more visible, but they've always been there. Uh, I think the importance of testing is enormous. We can't get back to work and back to um, really being active social members of society without the ability to test. And for some reason, the reason you know, um, there are a lack of access to testing for communities of color, especially black communities and Spanish-speaking communities. And it's uh, terrible because those are the worst hit by the worst outcomes from this, uh, this very terrible pandemic we're facing. Um, we've been doing yeah, testing. Yeah. We've been doing testing here in the clinic. I was going to say, and we um, can do uh, testing for uh, any child that's got uh, symptoms, and if it, if we're worried about the COVID virus for them, so um, we're available for that and uh, willing to do that. And especially want to make sure that our our, our black and brown community uh, is able to to take advantage of that. Now, now, Doctor, they say it's a squeaky wheel that gets oiled. Is there anybody that we should be approaching to make sure that you're, that you're obtaining the resources that are needed and what that dollar amount might be so we have a figure in mind to share with these folks out here what should be going to the Odessa, Odessa Brown Clinic? Well, I think our, all of our communities need support, and they need them in many different ways. So I just want to make sure we include conversations about uh, financial support for those many black and brown families that are losing their economic security uh, to the extent that they had it before. I think we need to make sure that we help to um, stave off what is going to be, I think, an enormous educational disparity for a long time because not all of the schools are able to supply all of the kids with all of the um, resources they need to be able to learn from home. I think there are basic um, kinds of needs that our families are having every day that need to be addressed. I believe that the federal government has done us a, an enormous disservice in not being uh, more prepared for this pandemic, in not being more able to provide adequate supplies like protective equipment for our staff and the so many staff in community clinics everywhere. People I work with, we're here on the front lines and we're taking, um, we're taking risks and we're trying to do it in the safest way possible to serve our community. And I think that uh, we need to think holistically, if you know what I mean, about this, um, this problem, because this is an economic pandemic. This is an education pandemic. This is a housing pandemic. This is a, a way of life pandemic, and it hits especially hard for communities of color. So I can't even put a number to that, uh, but the scale is large. The check is due, and uh, we need to be demanding, especially from our federal government, that they pay attention to the communities that they've for long, long, long periods of time ignored. Uh, Dr. Daniel, before we leave, I, I need to have, uh, would you please give uh, listening listening audience your contact information uh, if they have a child that needs to be seen or 
or get information about when they could come in? Because you say you have a safe day on Saturdays where they, they can get uh, get uh, shots for hoop and cough or whatever. Could you just uh, share that information with us right quick? Sure. The Odessa Brown Children's Clinic is at the phone number is 206-987-7200. That's 206-987-7200. And um, we'd be uh, happy to serve uh, all the kids from our community. Thank you very much, Dr. Danielson, for all the work you and the people at Odessa Brown are doing. And as Hayward indicated, we'll be supporting you any way we can. And we have to call Lenny out of retirement to help raise some more money. Him and oh, Marilyn you know, Wilkins can take care of that business in a hurry. So oh, thank you been, very much. He's been taken care of. But thank you so much for everything you're doing, keeping us all connected when we're um, in many different places on our own. Appreciate you, man. Really appreciate you. Okay, then, Dr. Ben, thank you very much. Our next guest is the distinguished aviation manager at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, uh, Lance Little. And uh, the coronavirus is definitely having an impact on the air travel and also on some of my friends out there at SeaTac uh, Bar Group, LLC, that owns the African Lounge and the Mountain Room Bar and uh, Concourse Concessions with David Fukuhara. I know it's having an impact on all of the companies out there. So, Lance, uh, tell us how you're going to perform this miracle and get everything back in, in order again. Hey, Eddie, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on the program. Well, absolutely. We just talked about uh, the, uh, the Port of Seattle's Blackson government chapter with Dr. Ethe Williams a little while ago. So uh, oh, why don't you just uh, tell us what's going on out there. First of all, I want you to share with our listeners what well, you've been on before. We'd like to refresh some of our new listeners, uh, you know, because you're a very esteemed individual. Uh, one of the few blacks, I think, that's an aviation manager anywhere in the country, and you have been the CEO at Houston's three airports. You did. You developed, it was over the project to put the rapid transit into the Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson Airport. So you got a very distinguished background. So why don't you take a minute or two and just share a little bit about your background without listening audience? Oh, background. Well, I started back way, way back in the I guess in the aluminum mining industry. Uh, made the transition over into uh, aviation about 10 years ago at Hartsfield Jackson International Airport, where I was initially the the CIO, Chief Information Officer, and then Assistant General Manager. Then I moved on to the Houston Airport uh, System, a three-airport system where I was the Chief Operating Officer. And then finally here, to Seattle as the Managing Director of Seattle Tacoma International Airport. I've been here a little bit over four years now. And uh, so uh, tell our, our listeners a little bit about the duties that you perform on a daily basis. What are you responsible for as Aviation Manager at CTAC? Pretty much everything. Um, pretty much responsible for the day-to-day -day operations, ranging from um, operations, security, maintenance, the commercial um, business, the uh, planning, design, um, construction, um, as well. So the uh, customer service, um, quality assurance. Pretty much every function. Uh, and that's that's a pretty big hat to wear now. In terms of the number of people out there that report to you, and what's the size of the, of the staff at the airport? There seems to be a lot of people. I know some of the people are private, work for private contractors, yeah, but you have a pretty significant staff under you. How many people do you have under you? Yeah, so I have overall responsibility here for um, planning, sorry, for um, operation, security, maintenance, planning, design, construction, 
the whole commercial uh, management, airport dining, retail uh, program, the um, the customer service um, function. Uh, you know, you name it. Everything associated with actually running an airport. I was, um, the analogy I give is that airport is like running a city, but a little bit more complicated because we do pretty much almost everything that a city does, except in addition, we have airplanes, um, cargo and passenger airplanes here at the airport. So do you negotiate all the contracts with, uh, uh, with the individual airlines, or is that something that's done by other people at the port? So I get involved with the with the, the major negotiations um, with um, the airlines. Of course, I have other people who support me from my commercial department, from the finance um, department as well. Now, the other thing is that we've heard that the Port of Seattle, the SeaTac, will be getting a significant sum from the government, and in, uh, in terms of trying to keep things afloat. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, does the port have to lay off employees, furlough people during this uh, downsizing uh, due to the uh, coronavirus? Right. So at this point in time, we have no intention um, to do that. Um, we don't know how long this thing is going to last, and we don't know what's going to happen months down the road, but we have no intention or no plans to do that at this point in time. We were um, successful in lobbying um, the federal government to include $10 billion in the CURES package for airports. Um, nationwide. Initially, when the two packages, both from the Democratic and the and the Republican side, uh, was was drafted, airports were actually not included. Airlines were, but not airports. So, um, you know, we lobbied with uh, you know entities such as ACI Airport Council International, um, AAAE American Association of Airport Executives, AMAC, um, Airport Minority Advisory Council, and you know several other airports and several other entities. We got support from uh, Congressman Larson from. Uh, um, um, uh, Cantwell and Murray's office, and the Cantwell uh, um, and Murray's office, we got a lot of support, and we were able to eventually get ten billion dollars included in a package. Of that ten billion, C tax is actually getting one point, sorry, one hundred and ninety-two million of that. That's going to be allocated for us. But just to understand, it's not a hundred and ninety-two million dollars that they're going to deposit in an account for us. It's going to be on a reimbursement basis. So, for example, if we have to submit invoices or payroll receipts, et cetera, or um, debt service payments receipts in order to draw it on on that money. But it's $192 million that we didn't have before, so it will go a long way in helping us. It doesn't cover all the revenues that we're losing, but it will go a long way. Well, our next question is, what about the, some of the smaller vendors, the ACDVs? Will there be any relief for them? Yes, so we have we have actually um, provided relief already for several all of the ADRs, the airport dining and retail, including ACDBE, small business, women-owned business, uh, minority-owned business, but also the, the, the some of the bigger businesses as well, and some of the other what we call non-aeronautical um, businesses. We have provided relief for the ground ground transportation businesses as well, such as the taxi um, operators as well, and we have provided so far two months of uh, MAG, Minimum Annual Guarantee Relief, and percentage of gross. Um, and we are actually looking at doing that another two months. So we'll, we'll evaluate in another few weeks and then decide if we do another um, two months thereafter. And uh, I guess the other, the other question I have before I go to Hayward is uh, obviously right now there won't be any expansion of uh, anything at the airport. I know at one point I heard that they were going to be having some new uh, – 
vendors come into the airport. What is the status of that right now? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question, Eddie? No, I was just saying, at, at one point, I know they were advertised, there was an advertisement, and the, the word on the street was that they were looking for additional vendors at SeaTac, mm-hmm. uh, and I was just curious to know if that's just been brought to a halt due to the downsizing of uh, the air travel due to the virus. Yeah, th- this this um, this pandemic has brought everything, if not to a halt, at least to a pause. And so we yes. have to reevaluate everything um, that we do. The expectation is that eventually it will end and traffic will pick back up. We're not sure how long that will take and what form that will take and what will be the new normal um, coming through the airport. But, you know, every situation that we have had in the past, whether it's 9-11 or SARS or any other disruptive situation that we have had, after the downturn, there's usually a rebound. And if you look over the last several decades, they just the aviation industry and the nation in general go through these um, peaks and valleys. But the trend is always up, where the, the number of travelers traveling year after year, decade after decade, typically increases. So we're expecting the same thing. We're just not sure how long it will, it will take for that to happen. So again, we have to evaluate and determine, um, you know, do we have enough concessionaires for now? I can tell you the situation we were in, we were woefully um, low on the number of food and beverage and retail outlets um, that we have. And um, right now, we don't have any passengers coming through the airport. So um, we have over two-thirds of our concessionaires that are that are closed, and the ones that are open, they are, they're really hurting. Boy, that's, yeah, well, that's one thing about the virus. I want to go to my co-host, Hayward Evans, see if you have any questions or comments for you, Lance. Lance, first, we're so glad that you're at the airport. You have done a magnificent job. My my hat is off to you. Absolutely, we salute you. But my question, I guess I'm going to go back to that sustainable airport master plan that you're putting in place for our future development. How How's this impacting your plan, particularly in light of some some uh, governors didn't put that uh, stay-in-place order, and then if they open up flights coming into SeaTac, how are you going to be monitoring those folks getting off the plane? I'm not worried about people leaving, but the ones coming here. Mm-hmm. So monitoring um, people coming off the plane, whether it's international or domestic flight, that's a responsibility of the um, CDC, Center for Disease Control, as well as the um, Department of Health. So the airport does not have that responsibility. We don't have the expertise um, or subject matter experts in place to take on such function. That's not a role that we play. So we leave the, the role of monitoring um, whether it's health checks or it's you know or it's temperature checks etc. to the, the the health experts, that's not our area of expertise. Uh, with regards to the the master plan, the master plan that we're that we're conducting is is in the environmental review um, phase. And remember, the facilities that we're talking about as part of the master plan, those are facilities that's going to be built years down the road. You're talking eight, nine, ten years um, down the road. So the environmental review process will continue. Now, I would have a, a question uh, or, or uh, for my friend, Mayor Jimmy Mata, the mayor of Burien. How is uh, the, the mitigation going with the, those cities surrounding the airport? They had, had mentioned something about uh, the noise factor, and uh, mm-hmm. I, told, I told Mayor Jimmy Mata the next time I talked to you, I'd ask you that question. How is that going? Yeah, so we, we have the, a group um, called START which is the SeaTac or Seattle Tacoma um, Airport Advisory Roundtable. And that 
um, Longchamp consists of, of the, the six major um, closest neighboring um, cities uh, to the airport that form that group. We have three of the cities that had suspended their um, their participation within the group, but we have made uh, tremendous um, strides. We have reduced the, the use of, for example, the third run- runway between uh, midnight and 5 a.m. in the morning, and I think that's, that's really a positive thing because that's something that we had no control over, but we had um, significant influence um, over. And we have a voluntary um, late-night noise reduction uh, that several of the airlines have voluntarily participated in. So we have seen progress. We still have a lot of challenges um, going on. What I suggested, Eddie, is to balance the, the, the growth. There's a tremendous growth that was taking place in this region prior to this um, pandemic. And the challenge that we have is balancing the growth of being this huge economic engine for the region and not being the bottleneck. But at the same time, we have to be aware that the people closest or the cities closest to the airport are the ones that are um, disproportionately impacted. And that's why we have a major sustainability program. And noise reduction is a key component of that. So we're trying to find that balance. And that's that's a very challenging thing for us. Well, I know you're not Kenny Lyles over at the Marine Division, but have you heard anything about uh, the cruise ship industry uh, with the virus showing up on a lot of these cruise ships? Have you heard anything about them curtailing or uh, the ship, ships coming in, the cruise ship industry? Because I know that the president was talking about giving them a lot of money. I was just curious to know what effect that would have on uh, the cruise ship industry, because there's a lot of big business coming to CLBI cruise ships. I was just wondering, what is the, have you heard the latest on that? Well, I guess just like in aviation, the information changes pretty much every day. So I would not want to give you information in okay. that area okay. that I'm not the subject matter expert. So I would give Kenny a call and that one, and I'm sure he can provide all the latest information over on the cruise side for you. Well, we have to have Kenny Lyles on so we can talk about that because that's, yeah. that's another significant piece uh, of the economy for Seattle, especially during this season. Uh, with mm-hmm. the with the cruise lines and uh, so uh, so Lance, what what uh, what are your what are you? I guess it's hard to say what your plans are with, with this virus, uh, but give our listeners some kind of idea of what percentage of drop have you experienced uh, at uh, air travel coming through SeaTac? I'm sorry, uh, could you could you repeat that question, Eddie? You're no, I just said what what percentage uh, of drop of uh, air travel have you seen oh. at Seattle Tacoma okay. International Airport? Okay. Yeah, so it it's been it's been it's been devastating. For example, the airlines, um, Alaska and Delta are two major airlines that makes up almost seventy percent of the traffic. They have reduced capacity um by about eighty percent. And just to give you an idea um of the the, the the um the magnitude of this, typically at this time of the year we would have about fifty to say fifty four, maybe fifty five thousand people coming through our checkpoint at this point in time because in a spring break, et cetera. Yesterday we had 2,500 um, people coming through the checkpoints. We have, again, 60 or more of our concessions closed. We just have about maybe 28 or 29 open right now. So it's, it's been devastating because what has happened is when the pandemic just started, we, were, we have since transitioned from a, a fear of flying, and we have transitioned now to not only a fear of flying, but there is no need to fly anymore, and that's devastating. Okay, well, Lance, we're out of time now, but, buddy, we sure appreciate the job you're doing out at SeaTac as a manager of aviation division and all the expertise you brought to the SeaTac from your past experience. So thank you very much, and we'll stay in touch and wish you the best, okay? Thanks for having me on the program, Eddie. Thank you, Hayward.
Okay, then. Thank you. Okay, before we go to this commercial, I want to say uh, this program is brought to you by Sound Transfer Small Business Development Labor Compliance Office, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, Concourse Concessions, CTAC Bar Group, LLC. Stephanie Ogle works magic with Soulsless Media. She keep, does our technology. And we're going to take this break and come back and close out. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Bored with the other stations? Hammering away on the same old talking points? Try Alternative Talk 1150 and get some variety. Right now, we're back at Urban Forum. Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye ready to close out. want to remind everybody that the selection committee for the Central District Community Preservation Development Authority, a.k.a the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development uh, is soliciting individuals who would like to become board members. And an email went out, and uh, if you were on uh, the McKinney Coalition members or, or supporters list, you should have it. Uh, the selection committee want to review the McKinney Coalition's recommendations on April 21st. And if you could get it to Eddie Rye by April 20th at E-R-Y-E at comcast.net there'll also be ads in uh the community newspapers as well so i want to thank uh uh my guests today dr ben danielson dr ife williams uh lance little and my co-host haywood evans and eric and on and the boards so we'll be talking with you again next week another edition of urban forum next northwest <laughs>